everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of DFV. I am Black Cinephile. I am AKA Brad. That is AKA Brad. Brad, man, this one's special, man. This is special. Yeah, we uh, we finally hit a very major milestone with 100 episodes of Double Feature Versus. This is amazing, man. You know, about a year and a pandemic ago, <laughs> two guys, two gays got together with a dream. And that dream was to talk about movies and compare movies. And, you know. Those two guys met up in a, uh, a hotel that had like old, like a great podcast studio room in it, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where we started, man. That's where DFV generated. Um, uh, and our first episode was just—it uh, was a little rough, but it was fun. Uh, oh yeah. Um, I think- well, at the same time, we had discussed doing a podcast for like a couple months prior, and we were like, "But what would it be? What would we be doing? What is the goal? What's this?" And eventually, we were like. You know, we got to just sit in front of a mic and just go and see where it takes us. And yeah, as yeah. a result, it's it's rough, but that's how most podcasts start. Yeah, I, I don't care how many I don't care how much planning you do. I mean, it works for the infrastructure, but if the you got to get the conversational flow going mm-hmm. um, in order to make this like an exciting podcast or an exciting video podcast, video or audio, which we do both. But basically, our first episode was a. Uh, about the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Nicolas Cage. Now, mind you, at the moment, this we was pretty much covering like the highlights of Nicolas Cage's filmography. We were just going off Wikipedia. Pretty much, yeah. We, we were just discussing <laughs> we, we, Nick Cage. <laughs> that's really all we were doing. We were just discussing the great Cage, discussing uh, what we love about Cage. Uh, mind you, this was before... I don't know if it was before Mandy, but it was before The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent and... Um, uh, I, I think it was after one. Mandy, because if I recall correctly, that was like January or February of 2020 when we first started. I think so. I thought it was 2021, but you you could be right. Yeah, you could be right. Um, yeah, well, basically, we started there and uh, it was a rough episode, but we always told ourselves we would revisit it and like and pay a better homage with a more focused podcast conversational lens. Mm-hmm. Um if we haven't worked on our conversation by now, then uh, we might be SOL. Right. <laughs> but I, t- I think we're a more established uh, team now. And we, we we said one day we would revisit uh, Face Off and Wicker Man for our 100th episode. And uh, here we are today. We have Face Off versus the Wicker Man. Yeah, two of uh, Nick Cage's probably most well-known uh, movies for his acting because he goes sure. all out in both of these movies, especially when it comes to the faces, the expressions he makes, everything he gives 100% in both of these movies. Whether that's to good effect or not, <laughs> he does give 100%. This, this is cage uncaged. Yes. I, I, you know, we, we couldn't just do a regular, you know what I'm saying, leaving Las Vegas versus Pig or versus Mandy. No, we had to go... We had to go deep into caginess to get the best cagey films we know, bro. Oh, absolutely. Like, the ones that, that people fondly rewatch, whether it's right. for the good or the bad. <laughs> yeah, and we, we, we have a great duo of polarizing films here. What one film you wouldn't expect to be so polarizing, but it it it, it was it it's polarizing for what it is. But um man, I'm a 
I'm ready to hop into this, and I, I this this has to be chronological, bro. It I has mean, this, to be. It just it has to be because we gotta talk face off before we talk Wicker Man. Oh yeah, if we started with Wicker Man, this this one goes pretty south pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, that we that's special. We gotta save that for later. <laughs> that's special. That's special, Cage. You hear me? Um, you, you mind if I take the the reins on this one? I will let you take the reins on this one. All right, all right, much obliged. So we have Face Off, man. 1997, directed by the action master John Woo. I mean, folks, this is one of the greatest action films of all time. Uh, one of my personal favorite films of all time. Let's just let's just give them the rundown real quick for anyone who hasn't seen this. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoilers abound, by the way. So we have two key characters, two key rivals. Um, you know, you see it in every great uh, action film where you have two rivals. You've seen it in Heat. You've seen it in many action films. Um, you know, Universal Soldier. We have uh, Agent. I don't know if he's an agent. I think he's a detective. But um, we have FBI Special Agent Sean Archer, played by John Travolta. And we have um, uh, terrorist sociopath Castor Troy, played by Nicolas Cage. So when we start this film off, we start this off with just a brilliant, just just brilliant, great 90s prologue where we have um, Sean Archer on a carousel with his young boy. You know, you got the uplifting music. It's, it's, it's pounding at the heartstrings, classic John Woo style. He does that weird thing with his son's face where he, he takes the hand. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, I, it, it's just something he does with his kids. So um, they're having fun. And then all of a sudden, music gets real low. Boom. We have Caster Troy coming in with the trench coat, the, the open jacket, ready to get his sniper game on. So what goes wrong and what basically starts the plot of this film, uh, basically starts the plot of this film is that Caster Troy was meant to assassinate Sean Archer. But instead, he uh, accidentally um, assassinates his son. Both of them are shot, but um, the son is more fatally wounded than um, than Archer is. So um, cut to about a year later, we have a grieving Sean Archer who has dedicated his whole career to taking down Castor Troy. And uh, Castor Troy has just set a bomb uh, uh, that that uh, that that is that is destined to um, be a big cataclysmic event. So on the eve of this, uh, the team is like setting up right now to take down Castor Troy. Um, long story short, Castor Troy is put down. He's not dead, but he is he is like uh, fatally wounded. So Sean Archer gets this big uh, this this big congratulatory meeting like, hey, you did it, sir. And he's like, uh, he's, he's not happy about this. This doesn't bring back his son. He's like, you know, like, uh, well, let's dedicate this to the men who lost their lives today. Um, you know, he's still he 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 he's grumpy, but he's he has a reason to be grumpy. He's grieving. He's been grieving for a year. Um, so anyway, they realize they 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 learn of this bomb that that could be cataclysmic that uh Castor Choice set off. But Castor Choice is now he he he's he's thought to be dead. Mm-hmm. Um that is when a um a scientist, Dr. Malcolm, as well as um I want to say like a like a like a covert operation let Sean Archer know. Like, hey, Castle Troy isn't dead. We're keeping him alive on a respirator and we have a plan. So this is where the film goes into stupid territory. But this listen, this is a perfect example of when you have a stupid premise and you have a talented director that can take that stupid premise by the reins and just 
make make it something glorious, bro. And you have two uh, lead actors that are willing to give it their all in the absolute it, absurdity of the situation. Give it their all. Great over the topness. It dude, man, this movie was lightning in a bottle. But let's 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 not let's not tease the audience. Let's get them into what's going on. So they tell they tell Sean Archer, they said, listen, we have a procedure where if we remove your face and take Caster Choi's face and put it on your face, you could go into prison as Caster Choi, talk to his brother who we arrested, but we didn't but who they arrested, but they didn't kill, and and try to figure out where is the location of the bomb. He goes, oh, man, I don't know about this. And then he takes the body. He goes, all right, I'll do it. It's just classic 90s uh, plot, man. Like <laughs> anyone in their right mind would, would go, what? Right. Yeah, we have this doctor. He's going to take your face, pull it off, and we're going to take his face and put it onto your face. All I, all I could hear in that sequence when they were showing the faces was we could rebuild him. <laughs> we can make him better. Right. We, we that, have the technology. Right. We have the technology. We can rebuild him. So, um, through a great turn of events, Sean, Sean Archer goes into prison under the mask of Caster Choi. He has like a voice thing to mask his voice as Caster Choice. So, um, basically, we have Nicolas Cage at this point playing as Sean Archer. Uh, Caster Choi is still in a uh, hospital. Uh, Unfortunately, wakes up, realizes what's going on. Uh, long story short, he sends his goons to the uh, to get the doctor. Uh, kills everyone who knows about the operation, which is covert. Nobody mm-hmm. else knows. Not not even Sean Archer's um, you family. know uh, fe- fe- family fellow agents. You know they don't know about all this. So he kills everybody and takes Sha- now he takes Sean Archer's face. And now John Travolta is now playing um, uh, uh, Caster Troy. So. So, uh, so Nicholas Cage is is now Sean Archer. John Travolta is now Caster Troy. Uh, so, and now he's Caster Troy as <laughs> far, far as the head of an FBI uh, unit, which mm-hmm. is which is hysterical. So now here's where the plot thickens, and, and it's really just a race against time of um, Sean Archer trying to get back to his life, trying to get his body back uh, that belongs to Caster Troy. Um, I'm sorry. I don't want to confuse myself. We have Nicolas Cage as Sean Archer trying to get back to being a regular Sean Archer with his original face. And we have John Travolta as Caster Troy, just 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 raising hell as the head of the FBI task force. Well, and not that, even it, raising hell. It's he's basically becoming a lauded hero because he's using all his information and intel that he's gathered over the years to take down all these kind of like different terrorist organizations and you, go. you have basically the united states government coming in going look i i know something's up there's no way that you have all this secret intel out of nowhere you can never tell us you go into these private kind of missions and everything without telling us and you're coming out of it having taken down like a huge organization who are you? What is this? What is your source? Who are you working with? Oh, man. Yes. It, listen, in, in a nutshell, that is face off. That's the that's the simple plot of face off, <laughs> bro. <laughs> Dude, I love it because it's, it's listen, if anyone else took the reins on this, maybe Michael Bay. But if mm-hmm. anyone else took the reins on this, I don't think they could have made it as successful as it was. 
because it's such a stupid premise that works, man. It is a very stupid premise. But at the same time, when you get down to what really makes this movie special, it comes down to seeing them being body swapped and having to live in the other world. It's basically I'm trying to remember the movie uh, Freaky Friday. It's basically Freaky Friday. (laughs) (laughs) This is Freaky Friday. This is a dark remake of Freaky Friday. It's a very dark remake of Freaky Friday. But it's essentially the same kind of plot line, except you have a criminal and an FBI agent that swap places and neither of them can really say that they've been swapped because obviously Caster Troy is having the time of his life being in the body of, you know, Archer, where he can take out all the competition that he's had over the years he can use this to become a hero he even talks to his brother and says look i i might not be able to do the same stuff i was before but now i can be a hero and guess what yeah. how much being a hero will bring in and i love how his brother brings in like the line well i guess i'm gonna just keep the good looks in the family because <laughs> yeah i love how he says to him he says, dude, let's go, let's go, let's go deactivate the bomb. He says, what? I thought that was the whole point of this mission. He says, uh, yeah, so is, uh, what he says, get, getting a Time Magazine front cover. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> billions of cash. Any questions? <laughs> and then him and his brother just start doing the mustache twirl laugh. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. This movie is so stupid. <laughs> I, I also love, so we got to go back to how this begins, too, oh, with we, the character. We got to talk scene. about so many things. It, the carousel scene after he shoots Archer and, you know, he falls to the ground and his son and everything like that. You get this like weird pan shot of Nicolas Cage as Caster Troy doing the kind of shocked thing. And it's like, is he shocked that he survived or is he shocked that he shot the kid? Like, what is he shocked about here? And I think his face, his face was like, no, I missed yeah, but at the same time, he can see that, and it's like you still have a sniper rifle. Did you only bring one bullet? What what was what was the plan here? I didn't even think about that. Like, bro, why didn't you, why didn't you finish the job? Yeah. But I think I think my my rational thought would be would like, oh well, I guess he suffered enough. His his son is gone. Job yeah, well done, I guess. Assuming that he was hired to kill that person, coming back and going, yeah, I shot him and it killed his son. You know, where, where's my payout? It's like, no, you didn't finish the job. Your job was to kill, you know, Archer. <laughs> I think that that I think that leads into his social sociopath character where he's like, I can imagine whoever he came back to that maybe hired him for that job. He probably killed them and went, hey, you know, the, the guy's <laughs> son died. So it's not like he isn't suffering anyway. Very possible. Also, when he's coming back after having planted the bomb, he goes to the runway for the airplane and stuff, and they come back with, what is it, like the Tic Tac kind of tin that has his sunglasses, some bubble gum. Right, right. The chiclets, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh my oh, god, this man. everything about this character is so over-the-top t- insane. <laughs> it is, but it's like, listen, bro, I got to I got to say, I, I think John Travolta and Nicolas Cage, they they were eye to eye on what they were going to do on this movie. Bro, oh, yeah, because I heard a story. Um, I think Nicolas Cage talked about it on Inside the Actor Studio. Uh, rest in peace to James Lipton. He had said on Face Off 
I think I think he was on set. I think Travolta was on set, and I think it was the scene, the Hallelujah scene, where, he, where he's in the priest costume. <laughs> oh God, yes! And he he claps his hands and starts doing thing with the head. And um, I, I think he said John Travolta said to him after the cut, he says, "Oh, so that's the type of acting we're doing in this movie? <laughs> so, so this is what we're gonna do?" <laughs> he says, "So we're just having fun." And I guess Cage was like, "Hey, I guess so. You read the script." <laughs> <laughs> Let's not take this seriously. So uh, I think they both had to be eye to eye on this movie. But, dude, I love, oh, man, I love the airplane chase scene. Again, it's so stupid, but it the the the, the movie plays it so well, and I love John Woo's direction. Mm-hmm. This is how insane this gets. At one point, Sean Archer is in the car with his, um, his, 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 uh. I'm guessing his, direct his, superior. I don't think that was his superior. I think that was like, I, 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 he might have been. He might have been. But um, they were in a car. This dude was about to play chicken with an airplane. Mm-hmm. Like, this dude was this dude was going head to head with an airplane. He's in one car. Castor Troy has a gun pointed at the uh, at the pilot who's trying to lift the plane. And you just hear the music go, dunt, dunt, dunt. And, and it's like, is this dude really about to go head to head with a plane? <laughs> like, and it's like, the movie makes you buy into the silliness. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then he stops last minute because he sees one of his officers. He, uh, Castor has a gun on her. Yeah. Well, I love that. It, if you kind of look at outside of this movie at the actions that both of these people take. Uh, first off, Archer is a terrible agent. He has to be like the worst agent in all of FBI history because, yes, he tried to play chicken in a, a car against a plane. When it comes to him pretending to be caster troy he screws up multiple times in the prison where he's like no no i'm gonna take your job when i get out of here and trying to report you i'm gonna report you (laughs) like he doesn't act like caster troy at all and meanwhile caster troy is on such a level of sociopathic that he even managed to make archer a likable person in his life like, oh yeah, 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 because everybody like that meets him goes, "Oh man, you're you're a lot cooler now. You know, I like you and everything. You're you should stick around more often. You want to come to this party after work? You know." Right, right. He's he's seducing his wife. He's having sex with his wife. He's teaching his daughter uh, like horrible things. How to use a switchblade? Oh yeah. <laughs> Help, like 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 sharing cigarettes with her. You know, he he's just he he is. I said he's raising hell, man. He is, um, and you gotta love the way John Travolta's playing it because he's like you. You could tell in his mind, he's like, all right, think Cage, think Cage, <laughs> think Cage. <laughs> he's he's even talking like Castor Troy a little bit, like with the yeah, and you know, like I I could tell that's something like Cage kind of made up for that role, but um, yeah, dude, I listen, I respect the acting. Because mm. these guys know when to turn it on in this film, and they turn it on to a great effect. It's not like okay, let's 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 uh let's turn it down a little bit and try to be fake serious. No, they they commit themselves, and the film is better off for it. Um, one thing I want to talk about was uh okay, the airplane chase, the airplane scene. I mean, I'm talking about the, the airplane car chase scene was great, but I, I like you said, it, Archer is such a stupid agent because when they tell him this it's stupid terrible. idea. <laughs> When they tell him this idea, he goes, you know, I could get arrested for this. Uh, This is illegal. I could be putting my whole team in jeopardy. My family. Okay, I'll do it. (laughs) It's like, 
bro, how, how long did you take to really weigh the options of this? Which, let's you know even I mean? break that down. First off, you're an FBI agent, and you're going, well, this is illegal. Why does that matter? You're an FBI agent. You're kind of <laughs> going to get away with anything that you do in the name of the, you know, get, taking down this organization and saving people. Mm-hmm. When has, you know, something like that stopped him before? Second off, yeah, he eventually goes, this this could upset my family. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't take... Listen, I know we got to move along in the movie, but it's like, it's, it's just, it's like little to no time of going, this is insane. Yeah. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> you had um, me at hello. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Dude, I gotta say, Alessandro Nivola was terrific as a cast of choice brother Pollux. Like, I just love how creepy he is. Oh, you yeah. Know, like, it, as being like the under henchman for Caster Troy, he definitely has a large role in this movie, even though he has very few scenes. Because behind the scenes, he's the one that's giving Caster Troy as. Uh, Archer all this intel so he has like an alibi for how he got this information he Mm -hmm. also has him at a high position underneath him because he's actually following the real Sean Archer in Caster's body around to see where he's going and being like oh he apparently you guys have a similar interest because he was just with your ex-wife you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah 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 um yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that was a good scene where you said he was just with your ex-wife. But um, I was going to say something about the uh, the prison sequence. Okay, so as Caster Choi is kind of like, as um, we're going to say him, Archer as Choi is trying to get used to his body and trying to get used to trying to get information from his brother. Um, I like how he uh, he talks with Thomas Jane, who, who was uh, randomly in this movie, uh, who goes, uh, hey, man, you, you forget the little guy? And then Caster Choi goes, goes and goes and says, oh, you're such and such. I, I almost busted. I mean, uh, uh, Sean Archer busted you some time ago. What criminal talks like that? Right. Again, <laughs> the world's worst FBI agent. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember you. You're criminal XJ97. You once did this entire thing and this. You were busted by this person during this raid. And it's like, no, that's not at all how he would go. Oh, yeah. You're the idiot that got busted, you know, during that raid. Good job. And he would have kept walking as what right. Caster Troy would have done. <laughs> right, right. And uh, I love the fight that breaks out and how that, and how that goes. I, that was a pretty cool subplot, that whole prison, about how you you can't even move where you want to move. They oh, the magnet boots? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I would have liked to see a whole film revolved around a prison like that and trying to escape from that. I guess... I guess that's what Escape Plan is with Sylvester Stallone and Schwarzenegger. I never saw that movie, but, you know. Yeah. Also, it's on an oil rig in the middle of the ocean, which begs the question, how did uh, Archer even get off of the oil rig and get back to (laughs) the mainland? Listen, he swam. (laughs) I don't know. He swam. (laughs) Listen, this is a 90s action movie. John Woo did what he could. He did what he could. Uh, It. But I like how you don't even question things like that. You just you just roll with it. But I, I love how Troy as Archer comes to visit him. And mm. it's such a great sequence, bro. Like, this is how you knew this was Cage being Cage. But this is also Travolta being Travolta 
for better or worse. He comes in with the cigarette, he flicks it, and I think he looks at him, he goes, ooh-wee, you good looking. <laughs> I, like, I cracked up, bro. I was like, yes, this is face off, bro. This mm. is face off. And um, yeah, man, it just became a fun ride from there. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting kind of take to see how these two managed in each other's bodies to deal with everything that was going on. Because at one side, you have Archer having to learn the criminal world and figure out how to do things in order to get his body back. Because at this point, all evidence of this project is gone. Troy has destroyed all the evidence. He's killed everybody that was involved with it. So there's no Mm -hmm. chance that anybody would really theoretically believe him when he goes, no, no, look, they cut off his face and cut off my face and they swapped him. (laughs) Yeah, dude, there's one part. There's one part near the end when the whole big shootout is happening and (laughs) you hear Joan Allen, uh, who plays um, Sean, uh, Sean Archer's wife, Eve, on the phone going, Hey, hey, excuse me, FBI, I have a story. You probably won't believe me. I, yeah. I want to know how that conversation went. Right, my, yeah. My husband, he's not really my husband. He's Castor Choi. Castor Choi is not really Castor Choi. He's my husband. Okay, miss, uh, we're, we're going to call a little line. They're going to come by with a, with a van. Yeah. Some guys are going to take They're you. going to give you a nice new jacket. You're going to be real right. comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how that conversation happened, bro, and how they just and how at the end of the whole fight, it's just him and <laughs> it's just Archer and Troy uh, sitting across from each other, and um, Troy as Archer, Troy as Archer is dead, and his agents come up and say, uh, "Hello, Agent Archer." He goes, "Which? Would you call me?" Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm accepted again. Right. It's like, wow, bro. Wow. That final battle between them, though, has some great moments in it, in the church and everything. Amazing. Uh, The scene where they're both on opposite sides of a mirror, just looking back, and they see the person that they want to kill because they're looking at a mirror directly back at their, the face that they have. That was an earlier shootout, but yeah, yeah. Oh, that was an early, yes. But at the same time, like, those scenes are just, oh, they did such a great job with stuff like that, where it's like, that doesn't deserve oh, yeah. to be in this movie. That's a great moment. Oh yeah, that was a um, you know, that was a uh, what, what am I trying to say? You know that uh, that's an iconic shot right there. Oh yeah, you know where um, they uh, they they point in the mirror and shoot each other like you said. It, it was such an iconic shot of the of the nineties and of action cinema. Yeah, man, it's just terrific scenes, bro. And this, like I said, going from like John Woo's direction, you got the many things his films are known for. You know, you got you got the doves. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the doves always come in with with some stuff's about to go down. You got the slow mo sequences. You got the gun ballet uh, sequences. Yeah, man. I mean, this is when John Woo could do no wrong. I mean, he still can't, to be honest. But yeah, this was him like at his peak. You know what I'm saying? You had Broken Arrow with John Travolta and Christian Slater. I think that came before this. I think that um, came before this as well. Yeah, you had uh, the the greats, the killer. Hard boiled with um, I think Chow Young Fat. Oh yeah, hard boiled is possibly one of his most well known. I think. Yeah, yeah. Again, one of the greatest action films of all time. Yeah. Uh, he he's the man behind a lot of them, but yeah, you know he uh he could do no wrong at this time. Yeah, and it this movie has such an out there kind of premise. 
It mm-hmm. has two very well played actors in it, mm-hmm. and you got to keep in mind this is also a time where like Nicolas Cage was doing a lot of weird kind of movies where he was having a hit and a miss and a hit and a miss. And this movie came out during that kind of time. Sounds like now <laughs> pretty much just say that that's pretty much Nick Cage's career. I, I think that it, uh, nothing's I, changed. I, I think there was a college humor skit. I think it was college humor that did like the, PR Hold agent for Nick Cage. This was around the time where uh, leaving Las Vegas, which he got the Oscar for the rock con air city of angels. I don't know if he has some flops around here, man. These, these oh, are was this like, like during his like high time? Yeah. This, this is the late nineties. Oh, that's right. Oh. This was 96. Wasn't it? Yeah. 97. 97. Yeah, okay. Man. Snake eyes, eight millimeter. Yeah, he has some he has some uh dope stuff under his uh under his arm around this time. Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, dude, I I loved it. I, I dude, we got Gina Gershon in this film, bro. We got Nick Cassavetes in this movie. We got a great cast, man. And I love the scene where um what what is what song is the little kid listening to? Is it Wish Upon a Star? Oh, are you talking about like yeah, during the drug bust shootout? Um Yeah. Oh man. He was listening to some song. But um I, I the, the kid's listening to a song on, on his uh on his C D player and uh, a whole shootout is happening. I'm like, bro, this is classic John Woo. Like, also you just, you just can't go wrong with this. When he pops up at the end, he's like, you know, this is it, uh, I'm trying to remember who his name is, but this is a new friend of ours. He needs a new family to be with and everything like that. See, I, I like that. Adam. His name was Adam. Adam. That's um, it. Yeah. I love how, like, you know, it's uplifting because it complements the, you know, depressing prologue we got in the beginning. Now it's every now it's literally like a happy ending. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, yo, this, this kid needs a home. And they're like, OK, sure. They do the weird thing with the face. I still don't get that, but you know, it's a family thing. It's a family thing. I see you. <laughs> I see you. I see you. That's exactly what it is. I see you. Like I love, I love when um, Archer's Troy first meets the young boy. He holds him, and he's calling him by his son's name. He goes, uh, he goes, uh, what was his son's name, bro? Uh, I uh, think his son's name was Adam. Oh, Michael. Michael. He, kept, he, he kept going, Michael, Michael. And Gina's like, what are you doing, man? You're scaring him. Yeah, you're <laughs> you know? freaking him out. And who's Michael? <laughs> oh. oh, man. That's a great scene, man. I got to say, all in all, bro, I, I just, you can't go wrong with this movie. Cage at his most cagiest, it wins. You got to have, the man is never a bad actor. It's just that some films he may be in are bad. And this mm-hmm. film could have totally went down that route. Like oh, this could have flopped we... easily. Oh, this could have been like something else we about to talk about. But it didn't go there, man. You had a director that took the action of this film, understood the language of it, and said, okay, we can, we can make this a great dumb action movie. Like, we can succeed at this. And uh, it was movie magic, man. I got to say, this is a classic DFV 5 out of 5 to me. Uh, this one's it stands as a four out of five to me. It has a oh. lot of greatness. It does have oh. a lot of greatness. <laughs> oh, you just but, hurt me. But but it's not up there as a five out of five to me. 
Oh man. All right, all right. That's your opinion. You're wrong, <laughs> but that's your opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it 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 it, it works. For what it is, and I think it, for what it is, it, it works brilliantly. Oh, absolutely! I think, inspired, I think it inspired a lot of the great action films we have today, uh, post '90s, and uh, yeah, I love it, man. Oh yeah, <clears throat> don't get me wrong; it's a great movie and everything like that. But five out of five is reaching for that one to me. Yep, yep, totally, totally. All right, man. Now it's time to move on to the next one, and I'll uh, I'm gonna let you take the reins on this one. Okay, well, <laughs> so the other movie that uh, is very well known from Cage is The Wicker Man, the 2006 remake of the original film from, I think, 1973, if I recall correctly. Uh, yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, this is directed by Neil LeBute and features Nicolas Cage as police officer Edward Malice, who is called to figure out a missing persons case for his possible daughter after his ex-fiance calls him and says that her daughter has gone missing after they moved to this island where a lot of creepy stuff happens. Once on the island, he finds that it's run by women that are very cultish, that are very standoffish to him being there, that rely on honey as their main export to keep themselves sustained, which a big point is... Edward Malice is allergic to bees, so that's a huge thing for him as well on the island as he tries to figure out the mystery of what happened to this little girl, Rowan. Yes. Uh, yeah, that is it in a nutshell. Listen, man, you know, I, I, I was going into this film with new eyes. I feel like this is like the second or third time I've seen this movie in my life. Um, first time I rented it, uh, I think my mom rented it from Blockbuster. <laughs> and I remember it ended. I was like, okay, did I miss something? Mm-hmm. Like, that can't that can't have been the whole movie. There, there's got to be some, it was all a bad dream or something <laughs> like that. And when I saw no, uh, no end credit scene, I went, all righty then. <laughs> and I never thought about it again until I saw this great, this great, uh, Nicolas Cage montage on YouTube. I think we talked about it in our first episode where they were taking the best cagiest moments from his movies mm. and they played not the bees, yeah. not the bees. I said, Hey, I, I remember that movie. That was that weird movie about that cult and honey. Hey, that's that movie where uh, Nick Cage put on a bear costume and punched a lady, right? <laughs> Dude, I just love how the last 20 minutes of this movie, it's like Nicolas Cage just, just decking women, bro. Like, yeah. Just decking women, bro. Oh man, we'll talk about that. But um, I gave it another rewatch, and I go, yeah, still is bad, but funnier now. <laughs> funnier now. Funnier, funnier now that you know not to take it seriously at all. Right, right. So, um, I've watched it this third time for this podcast, and I gotta say, man, I feel like if you. If if you give yourself into the ridiculous time and don't take anything going on seriously, you you'll be I. Right. It, it doesn't it doesn't make the movie better. You'll I was gonna be say right. it's still a bad movie even with yeah, yeah. that in it's, mind. It's, it's not a good movie, but you'll you'll be I. Right. 
because I need oh, think it needs to be said. If we were talking about how Archer is a terrible FBI agent, my God, is Edward a horrendous detective? Because throughout the entire movie, whenever he's questioning people, he gets no answers and he doesn't press any further on anything. He basically goes, what happened to this little girl? I was okay okay and then it cuts to the next scene (laughs) let me tell you something about an opening scene that makes no sense (laughs) i mean it just makes there is no connection to the rest of the plot you think something would pop up later like like oh okay they were from that cult Mm -hmm. but no it's it's never answered like (laughs) listen this man okay so so worst daughter of the year world uh uh, a mother and daughter are traveling on a road. Uh, the little girl throws her doll out of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you talked about this when we, when we talked about this in the first episode. Like, I, I remember some Cage film where he was on a motorcycle and there was some doll. Yeah. I was like, I don't know that. Like, I, are you talking about Ghost Rider or something? But um, so Edward picks it up and he uh, he pulls the car over. Um, and you know, he, he gives the little doll back to the little girl and, and the mother says, I'm sorry. Like she, she, I don't, I told her not to do that. Little girl's like, Oh, I'm just bored. Little girl throws the doll out the car again to the other side of the road. Mm-hmm. So cage, uh, who could get ran over. He goes over there, picks up the doll, smiles it off. Like, ah, oh, it's just a, just a dumb kid. It's fine. Picks up the doll train. Just, I, I mean, not a, a truck. Train, uh, a truck just comes by and rams the, the, the car over the si- side of the road almost. So Cage goes over there. It's on fire. He's trying to get uh, whoever's alive out. The mother mm-hmm. is dead. The daughter's still alive. This man, reaches, man um, breaks the back of the car window and says, hold my hand. Hold my hand. The little girl just, just stares sit- at him, too. It's like the most haunting thing. This is during that time where if you were a little girl in a movie, you had to just be quiet creepy and stare off into the distance like you didn't know what was going on around you <laughs> dude i wouldn't even call it haunting he just he just gave her the daria face remember the daria cartoon oh yeah <laughs> says, bro why are you trying to save me just leave <laughs> let me He's die like, i asked for this but I think it needs right. to be said prior to that, like when he's bringing the doll back, he's, you know, the mother goes, wow, I'm surprised that you saw. It. He says, well, I had to keep all eyes on this road. I have to be aware of everything that goes on. And meanwhile, he turns his back and a semi comes out of nowhere <laughs> and destroys this car. <laughs> oh, man, that that's hilarious. Uh, but, also, uh, I love so. I don't know if I noticed it on the last rewatch, but since I last rewatched it, uh, it was pointed out that you could actually see during the cut when he's picking up the doll that the car is filled with crash test dummies. And when I was watching it this time, Sad. I saw it. I, I couldn't not see it where it was just like, yeah, there, it's just crash test dummies in that car behind him. Dude, this is wild. Because the man who made this movie, Neil Laboot, He's actually made some good movies, bro. This guy was a Sundance darling for a while. I'm gonna get into him later. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, bro. Uh, so Wicker Man. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the, the movie dies. we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So the the daughter dies, and you know, then it cuts straight to the title of the movie, The Wicker Man, because this is supposed to be a um, you know, a, a, a tragic flashback. Mm-hmm. So cut to present day. Um, one of his uh. Uh, one of his uh, fellow um, 
detectives come in, comes in and visit him as he's on leave and goes, hey, how you doing? Because I'm going fine. You know, like, did we hear anything about the family that died? She's like, she's like, no, we don't we don't know much about them. And uh, I love how this scene is played just so over dramatic. Like she goes, sometimes people just pop out of nowhere and we don't know where they came from. And she just sits there and just nods. As the music's playing, and it's like you know, normal bro, occurrences, all right. <laughs> right? You know, sometimes these things just happen. Yeah, I'm like, come on, man. And so he gets the letter from his ex wife, his ex fiance, that says, Um, you know, please help me, my daughter's missing. Uh, please come help. It could you be know, yours. So- right. Well, does it say that in the letter? I, don't think, I, he knows I think it's that alluded to like it's. She's however many years old since he last saw her and everything like oh, that. Right. And it, it's kind of alluded, oh, it might be his daughter because she left him so many years ago and the daughter's this many years. Uh, yeah. So he, so he goes back to work and he asks, um, you know, a fellow detective. He's like, uh, hey, man, I got this letter here. And it's they're um, they're from this place. I believe it's called Summer Isle. Uh, um, yes. Is is the place called Summer Isle, or I, I know the the woman who runs it. Her name is Sister Summer uh, Summer's Isle. I think it's Summer's Isle. Um, so yeah. So so anyway, he tells him like, yeah, man, I got this letter from my ex fiance talking about come to this place and listen. Even though the the dialogue is so uh, generic, you could tell his friend kind of had the right state of mind. Like, bro, ex fiance just wrote you a letter telling you to come <laughs> help her find her daughter. Like, what is this? Like, yeah. Come on, man. You can't be serious. And he's like, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, jump cut to him getting on the island. <laughs> right. He's like, yeah, it's probably nothing. And then he just decides to just go for it. Like, well, heck, you know, maybe I could reconnect some spark with my with my ex-woman who what? just left mysteriously and never called me again. And there's <laughs> nothing wrong about that. Come on. Okay. So, yeah, cut to him just going on the island. Oh, man. So, what do I want to talk about from here on? So, later on, he does find out that it is his kid. Uh, The scenes with him and his ex-fiance, played by Kate Behan, uh, Sister Willow was her name. Mm -hmm. See, it's like this woman was actually doing some great was actually doing some solid acting in this film, but it's like she gives the wrong facial expressions at some point. It's like, like you know this woman is doing bad acting of not knowing what's going on. Oh, my, my daughter was in that class? Oh, she she drew that? Oh, yeah, I, I knew that. It's yeah, like, it- <laughs> the writing is on the wall, man, and this guy is the dumbest detective ever for not catching it. Again, he... Yeah, he's a terrible detective because when he asks a question, he doesn't get an answer. He's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And then he constantly finds these clues that are basically giant red flags of, hey, you should leave. And he's like, nah, I'll stay another night. I'm sure it's fine. What's the worst that could happen? I love the one scene where he goes in the bar and he uh, he meets the woman that's uh, a woman basically makes him a drink. Mm -hmm. And um. And he uh, he he uh, <laughs> he he sees a, a bee, or I think, and he just smashes it. She goes, "Why on earth would you do that?" Mm-hmm. I'm allergic. I'm yeah. like, you just gave these people a one up on you. Like, come on. I mean, the, the, his ex fiance probably already told him, but it's like it's one of those moments where it's like, 
okay, cinematic sin number 35. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, cin- like cinematic character sin number 35. It's like, in... <laughs> I, I can't take this movie seriously as a procedural because even though he's going through the rounds of interviewing people and going to different places like where Ronan went to school and everything like that, it's just everything tells you literally get out, yeah. like like run for the hills. Why was that bird in the desk? We wanted to see how long it could stay there. <laughs> and the teacher, bro, <laughs> the teacher played by Molly Parker. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, she goes, oh, it's just it's just like a man to uh, interrupt, a, interrupt a classroom and, and women thinking uh, to try to uh, uh, disrupt us with your manliness. Mm. It's like, I'm, lady, I'm a detective. Like, this isn't some this isn't some uh, feminist course I'm trying to I'm trying to bring down here. I need to know mm-hmm. what my daughter is like. I need to know where this little girl is. And I love how everywhere he goes, he waves the badge. And he is a little arrogant. And I think it plays into like the. The, the gender roles and the gender criticisms between these characters and their ideologies. But it's just so everywhere he goes, he just holds up the badge. Let me in. Yeah. I'm, I'm important. <laughs> I'm <know>. a detective. <laughs> right. This is my little badge. I'm yeah. a detective. Let me in. Let me ask these questions that you won't answer. <laughs> yeah. I just see when I look at cage in a movie like this again, it's not like he ever. It's not like he ever did a bad job of acting, but I feel like this is a moment where he could take the material, elevate it past where it needs to be elevated. It, like, like there's a lot some, more he could have done. <laughs> a lot more or a lot less. Uh, both, <laughs> depending on the scene. Listen, man. I think the director should have been like, "All right, Cage, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> We're doing this for a check. Just you know, just calm down." <laughs> You don't you don't need to be so cagey. So you want me to turn it down? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Give me I'm the bear. Answers. <laughs> right, right. Oh man, the bear is so <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that's when the film really got my attention. It was too late in the game, but it really got my attention. <laughs> but um before we get there, I want to talk about dude. Now, this is probably like the best actor in the whole movie. Um, Ellen Bernstein, who plays Sister Summer Summer's Isle. Basically, the the, the, the leader of the island, leader of the island, bro, his scenes with her. I feel like she was the best actor out of everybody here. Like, I feel like if, if there's anyone that understood the assignment and didn't go, didn't try to overreach, try to go for an A plus plus or underreach and got a C, it was her. Yeah, like, she I, seemed to understand that she was supposed to be in a horror movie because right. everybody else seemed to think that they were supposed to be a part of a comedy or they were supposed to be a part of, I don't know what they thought this movie was supposed to be. I don't know, man. I think they just followed cage and went, all right, uh, Travolta followed him on face off. Maybe we should do the same. Maybe <laughs> and then, and then communication just got mixed. And then she was like, I'm just going to do what the script says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she nails it, bro. Like she is a terrific villain in her scenes. You know, oh, she yeah. has like the, she has a kind smile on her face, but she makes you she makes you feel like there's something sinister going on in her head and something sinister she's planning. She has that kind of look that she's hiding something, but it's not that dumb look of the blank stare that everybody else gives him when he's asking questions. She just kind of gives the snide responses of, well, yeah, 
Yeah. And it's like, okay, you're hiding something. And then you can like, okay, ask her further questions. And he's like, that's enough for now. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> he's like, uh, you guys commit murder here. We do not commit murder. Your sacrifices are murder. Our sacrifices are part of our tradition. We do not consider that murder. You know, like mm-hmm. she, she gives the great kind of villain, like like shrewd villain responses. Yes. You know what I mean? The, the kind where it's like, I'm not doing wrong. I'm doing what we need to to survive. Yeah. So I feel like the film needed a bit more of her and a bit less of his ex-fiance and uh, the, the, the other people. You know, I, yeah. I, I feel like if, if we got a little bit more of her and a little bit more of like a play between her and Nicolas Cage, I feel like this would have been a more effective horror film. Because I feel like this is somebody that can play with Cage and all his caginess and and, and, and play it straight and it will still be good chemistry between protagonist and villain. Yeah. Um, Especially when yeah. it comes down to like the climax where we find out that everything had been planned from the start kind of thing mm-hmm. like he was picked out by her long ago in order to be the sacrifice for this year and everything and right. once we find that out it's like okay so you're telling me that he got to the island and you needed to sacrifice him and you were like nah let him just wander about for a couple days let him discover some stuff then we'll kill him for the sacrifice like what he's got he should have landed dumbest- on the island watch the plane or boat. I can't remember how he got to the island, have that drift away. And then they just go, cool. You're all here by yourself now. Let, let's, uh, let's start. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the dumbest hero ever is some of the dumbest villains ever. Right. You know, what, what, what can you say? <laughs> so who will win. <laughs> right. Who cares? Whoever wins, who cares? Right. The viewer <laughs> uh, loses either way. <laughs> Exactly. I love a scene where he finally understands what's going on. He sees the guy that took him to the island and uh, he has it, it's very it's kind of harrowing a little bit. I think he has his eyes taken out or something like he sees him a washed on shore dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, uh, so he sees that. And I like how, you know, um, the lady who the who was giving him a hard time about the bee that he smushed and everything. She's talking with another lady that he, he first saw when he came on the uh, island. And they're like, uh, we can't wait for the uh, festival tonight. He says, oh, yes, I'm going to bring my favorite da-da-da-da-da. And then he shows up and they go, we'll talk later. Wink, wink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could you be that. any more suspicious? <laughs> right. I love how he walks downstairs and she's like, uh, oh, you look a little haggard or worse for wear. He just gives her the thousand yard stare and just knocks her, straight up knocks her out. I was like, yes, this is where the movie starts. <laughs> 60 plus minutes in, this, right. this is where Cage, this, this when, is where Cage was given. All right, good Cage, go ahead. <laughs> I, I feel like they shot the movie backwards and by the end of their shooting was toward the beginning of the movie. He's just like, I don't, I don't care anymore. I don't want to be a part of this. I've wasted energy. I've wasted, I've wasted too wasted, much energy on this. I've wasted I wasted time and energy into this movie. Oh man, I'm spent. Just, just put the crash dummies in the car. Just put the crash <laughs> dummies in the car. Let it get hit while I'm picking up the doll. I'll pick up the doll, man. So I love how he gets in a fight with her, and then uh, another character played by Lily uh, Sobieski. You don't see that actress anymore. She used to be in a lot of movies. Um, she starts whooping on him. Oh man, I love the dialogue in this where he's fighting her. 
and then he he gives her a nice he, he gives her a punch and she keeps going back. He's like, God, it didn't he drop kicks her into the wall. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what's more I don't know what's worse. The fact that he's like just just hitting women and the fact that this is like I, I, I like like you've been dragging these fight scenes out. Mm. Like, like like this is this is ridiculous territory. Like even for yeah. Nick Cage, it's very over the top. <laughs> it is, it is, man. This is like this is why this film is remembered, bro, because of how stupid it is. Um, go ahead. I, I I got some more to talk about, but you go. So, one point that we didn't even touch on was the fact that near the beginning of the movie, he picks up these self help tapes to listen to and everything. They have mm-hmm. no significance to the rest of the movie, but he mentions them constantly. Hey, did somebody take my self-help tapes? Did somebody go through my stuff? <laughs> I, where are my self-help tapes? I need these. And even at a point, you, you realize somebody obviously took them, but they left all of his other stuff alone, including his gun. <laughs> they were just like, yeah, no, no, no. We got to take these self-help tapes. That might clue him into what's going on here. This is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things that's just put in the plot. Um, I just don't understand, like, like why, why follow up with that? Like, who who wrote this script and said, you know, this is complete this here. <laughs> This man needs help, and let's just not spell it out so much to the audience that this man needs help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, everything about this movie is just completely nonsensical in the worst ways possible when it comes to the way that people interact with each other, the way that scenes are set and everything. Like even when he's mm-hmm. going in through the school and he like finds that uh, the girl's name is crossed out on the list of students. And he's like, what? She was a student. And the teacher goes, I don't know. There's so many kids. How am I supposed to keep track of all seven of them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just everything points to like, man, this is just get out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, I got to say, when he wears the bear suit, <laughs> the, the whole time he's riding around on a bike, by the way. But oh, uh, yeah. when he wears <laughs> that, it, it just couldn't be any dumber. But I love how he wears the bear suit. And as they're starting the ritual, he marches up behind his wife like, uh, oh, they, they, they got her up there tied up. I'm going to go rescue her. Like, what are you doing here? Uh, I had to show up. You know, it, it, I, it would look weird if I didn't show up. I love how he just accepts that response. Right, yeah. Like, oh, it makes sense. He, she has to be here. Um, and as he, as he goes up to get his daughter, like, the one girl is like, because uh, she thinks he, she thinks the bear is somebody else. Oh, something it, wrong? Sister, go ahead. It's uh, Sister Summer Isle, who is supposed to be wearing the bear suit as a part of right. the ritual or whatever. It says something wrong, sister. <laughs> he just decks her. It just, it just like, it, uh, he picks up his daughter and takes her. And uh, you know, as we find out, the whole thing was a setup. Listen, did you watch? Did you watch the original version or the unrated version? Because I think the unrated version is the one that has the not the bees scene. I saw the one that has the not the bees scene. Okay, all right. I saw the original. I had to go online to find the not the bees scene. Really? Oh, but, that's such a great scene. <laughs> It is. It is. I've seen it before. But the thing is, 
in the original, and this could have been played to great horrific effect if the rest of the movie was good. <laughs> you just you just hear the audio of of you don't hear not the bees, but you just hear the audio of Cage going, "My leg, my leg," like SpongeBob, mm-hmm. "My leg, my leg," <laughs> and you know it it is played like again. If the ADR wasn't so bad, like it would it would have been a great horrific scene to hear stuff off screen like that Gordy's place sequence in Nope. Oh, you know, yeah. The, Where the, the terrifying thing is the implications of what you can hear, not what you can see. Right. Hear bone, hear uh, bone on bone, bone on flesh. Like you could have made that more terrifying like that sequence. But, you know, when I saw the not the bees scene and them like actually like breaking his legs and like all of that terror is taken away when they put the thing on his head. What are you, what are you doing? What is this? <laughs> oh, not the bees. Not the bees. I'm like, bro, how can you take this? Who was directing this and said, oh, yeah, this will really terrify the audience. <laughs> Great cut. We don't need to do a second take. We're, we're good. <laughs> I really think if this was made straight as a horror comedy, uh, it, it would have had more of a chance. It probably would have, but at the same time, they were trying to make a serious horror thriller movie with this based on the original Wicker Man, because the original Wicker Man, I haven't seen that movie, the 1973 version, but it, it supposedly is a very good horror movie and it does its yeah, job very well. It. So the fact that they we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to make a remake of that. We're going to bring it to a modernized age. People are going to love it. It's going to start Nicolas Cage. And this is what they turned out. I guaranteed on the set of this movie, they were going, oh, we're nailing it. This is this is horrendous. This is scary. We put a bird in a desk. Did you see that? It popped out. Oh, t- audiences are going to be terrified. We have an mm-hmm. old lady under a bridge. Oh, it, it, we're going to get him. This is it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, what I learned about this movie, I don't know where I heard this, but I think um, I heard that, uh, you know, this movie is dedicated to the leader of the Ramones band. Um, really? Yeah, you see it at the end. It, it was. It says uh, for Joey Ramone. Is that the leader of the Ramones? Was it Joey Ramone? I think uh, it was him, right? That's his name? Um, yeah, that's his name, Joey Ramone. So the thing about this, um, before Joey Ramone died, I think uh, one of the conversations he had with Nicolas Cage, who was a friend of his, he says, like, dude, I would love to see a remake of The Wicker Man. Mm. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but basically this film is like also produced by, I think, I think Nicolas Cage's production company, I believe Saturn Films. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me. But basically, yeah, they he had made this movie in part uh, for Joey. And um, I just had to go like... This is the kind of movie you 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 made for your boy. <laughs> Listen, Neil Laboot, I, I don't understand because he is a talented director, dude. You look at this other this man's other films, In the Company of Men, Nurse Betty, The Shape of Things, even Lakeview Terrace with Samuel Jackson. He's made good movies. I, I just want to know what happened here. Uh, I, I want to know. It, terrible things, terrible things happened here. Like, I don't know why this movie sucks. Like, because the talent behind this movie, it, it shouldn't suck so much. The it problem does. is it's on several levels. It's the writing is bad. The directing isn't any good. The acting is completely off base from where it should be. 
everything about this movie fails on an astronomical level to the point that some of it just comes off as comedic, even though it's not supposed to. And that's the only joy you can get from this movie is the absurdity of it that turns to comedy. Yeah, I feel like if you watch this as a double feature with like something like, I don't know, The Room, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. But if you watch this as a double feature with Midsummer, you go, uh, yeah, that was pretty bad. That was yeah. a bad movie. Because if you watch it with a great pagan horror film like like uh, Midsummer, mm-hmm. and then you don't watch it with the original Wicker Man and you instead choose this, uh, you're done messed up, son. Right, like, yeah. Because like... You, you, you can't do that. Like, it, it's like you, it would ruin the whole experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I want to say quick rest in peace to the guy who scored the music for this film. Uh, Angelo Badalamenti. He passed away not too long ago. He scored a lot of like David Lynch's films. I think every one of David Lynch's films, I, I think even Eraserhead, but I, I could be wrong about that. I don't think he did Eraserhead, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's ironic that he did the music for this one. Like, um, I remember one day we were watching The Fan with Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes and found out Hans Zimmer did the score. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but it's funny how some scorers, they, 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 you know, they compose different music for different random movies, except for their outside their go-to directors. I mean, you can look but, at, uh, like, Danny Elfman's, you know, catalog of music scores, and it's like, huh? Yeah. I didn't know until up. I didn't know until about like two years ago that he did The Simpsons. I was like, mm-hmm. "That's him." I was like, "Wow." Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, man, this movie is just so bad, dude. Even like, like the ending shot with James Franco is fine. I don't feel like that's a bad leave off. Like you know, oh, the end question mark happens all over again. I I, I thought it was fine. But it was like, was it really needed? Yeah, it didn't no. need. I think more or less that scene just pops up and you go, oh, yeah, James Franco is in this movie for 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, which is random. But uh, yeah, it was just kind of like, a, oh, OK, All right, take me with you. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, and the film just ends and the torture ends. Yeah, man, I can't. I, listen. I got to say, the last 30 minutes of Cage going all out <laughs> is entertaining as everything and does redeem the film in its own special way. So I, I got to go with a two out of five on this. This is a, a 1.5 out of five because everything right, on we- this is a hit or is such a miss that even the little bit of joy that watching Nick Cage just beat up women comes from with that absurdity can't bring this too much higher than that <laughs> it's not it's not the joy of watching him beat up women it's the joy of how much this movie stretches that out oh yeah <laughs> the like, absurdity of it <laughs> right the absurdity of it like this dude's in a bear suit man like like what what is going on Oh, but at the same man. time, when you're sitting through two hours of this to hear Nick Cage go, not the bees, and then punch a lady in a bear suit, it's like, yeah, not worth it. <laughs> I'd rather just watch those clips on YouTube than have to watch this entire movie again. Uh, oh, man, the clips on YouTube are, are way more suited uh, for this kind of experience. <laughs> Listen, I'll probably never watch this again. We did oh, the no. episode. <laughs> there's, no, there's no reason to revisit it. it it's checked uh, off the list permanently, I think. 
yeah, I, I watched this for educational critic uh, purposes. I, I, I'm not I'm not checking this out again. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I think it's just without saying face off is the better film. Here. Oh, absolutely. It's not I mean, even it's, a contest. It's just without, it's just without saying. Yeah. So let's wrap up with the after show, man. You know, it's, it's the holidays. You've watched anything special with your family? Anything recently? I have not. I have been meaning to go see Babylon in theaters since that just came out, but I haven't mm. had a chance to yet. Uh, in terms of like movies, the only thing that kind of watched was Spirited, which was the Ryan hey, Reynolds and Will Ferrell movie. Um, did a watch of that with family, and that's about it. Okay. Let me tell you something, man. I saw Babylon. Uh, word to the wise, it is a lot. Really? It's a lot being thrown at you in three hours, man. Um, you know what Damien Chazelle was trying to do, mm. and I guess he he really gives it his all from the directing standpoint. But man, is that film a mess? It's 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 a real mess. There's a lot being thrown at it. Like, it, it, think of the worst things you can put on cinema. Uh, explicit wise and that's what you get in the first 30 minutes of babylon really um it's like it's like the eyes wide shut sequence on crack (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's what you get in the first 30 minutes uh which directed brilliantly by the way like like i said as a director he he did his thing with this um acting is good a little bit over the top but it's a very over the top movie uh it's a lot man uh, without giving anything away, it's a lot. I, I, I kind of want to see what your thoughts are, are on it when you see it. Yeah, I, I plan to catch that one sometime this week because it, it's one of those ones. Uh, I kind of want to see, what is it, the man named Otto as well, the new Tom Hanks one? Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard, yeah. Because it's, it's a Tom Hanks feel-good movie is what I heard it is. Yeah, and it's a remake of a great film called A Man Named Ove. Um, okay. I still haven't seen the original, but yeah, I, I've heard of that film. But Babylon, man, I I didn't like it. I I liked the directing of it, but I, I just didn't like it. It was just a mess, man. Mm-hmm. I, I gotta I gotta hear your thoughts on it because that three hours could have been two and a half or <laughs> two easy. I, I'll, I'll really catch just, it and I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah, let me know, um, dude. I saw Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. Oh, did what did you think of that one? Now, that was really good, man. That was a great sequel, bro. I, I heard I ne- surprisingly like good things, like favorable reviews on that movie, which I did not expect. You know, it had a great villain. You know, it has the big bad wolf in it. And the big bad wolf is just it, he's just a terrific villain in that film. You got a, you got a few other villains, too. Mm-hmm. But um, I hadn't seen the original yet. I hadn't seen the original Puss in Boots, but it was a very good film. Great animation. Great comedy. Uh, great heart. I, I like it, man. It, it it was really good. It surprised me. Okay, you know, a lot of these movies. Like I tapped out on Shrek after three. I mean, <laughs> I've seen all of them, but I I just after that it just stopped being funny to me. But mm-hmm. like, well, it stopped being funny after two. But like this film, I don't know. I liked it, man. Okay. Yeah, I, that's another one that I have on the list, but that one most likely I'll wait until it comes to streaming or home video in some way and I'll rent it because I don't see myself going to the theater to see that one. I, I There's too many in the theater that I got to go see first. 
Yeah, all right, I got you. Um, but if he ever do, I'd say it's a it, it, it's worth the watch, man. If you want to wait till it hits streaming too, I'd say uh, check it out. You know, rent it or view it on whatever platform you use, and it's uh, it's pretty good. Um, oh man, we got to talk about James Gunn and Ray Fisher. See, now this is where keeping it real goes wrong. Mm-hmm. I just. Did you did you hear about this? I, I heard of it lightly. I didn't get read into the big details of it yet because there's a lot going on with James Gunn right now with the whole DC thing because there's the whole raid to fire him by all the people that like Snyderverse because he went, yeah, I, we're really not going to keep following the Snyderverse stuff. And then you have... Uh, Which is fair. Yeah. Then you have... I'm trying to remember the guy from uh, Zach Levy who says... You know, the, the Snyderverse stuff is probably what ruined DC and you have fans coming out and being like, oh, my God, we got to cancel him. He's doing terrible, saying terrible things about the movies I like. And it's like, I don't agree with that. It, it's a toss I, up. I, right. I, I I don't agree with Zach's opinion, but I don't want to I don't want to cancel him. Right. For it. He's he's entitled to that. Yeah. It's you know, the fact like, that everybody is going after anybody that says anything negative about the Snyderverse now or goes it's it's not happening anymore. Everybody's getting in up, you know. So let me, uh, I got you. Let me give you the rundown on what happened. Um, so basically, Ray Fisher uh, uh, retweeted something that um, I believe actor Alan Tudyk said. Said, "Hey, listen, I, I heard what Ray said about uh, Josh Whedon. All I can talk about is the guy I know, the guy I've worked with. I would never uh, expect something like that from him. I've never known him to be that way." Mm-hmm. is what alan said uh he, ray shared that james gunn liked the tweet and then ray retweeted that and said okay james now like this tweet and james liked his tweet too and then ray came back and said oh my goodness james thank you like thank you for supporting me in this and james says you know uh, anytime and then um then now this is where ray just was just this this is what this is what the kids call doing too much Ray showed that James Gunn tweet um, was uh, removed or something like that, or that his like was removed, something like that. He goes, oh, James, uh, what happened to the like, buddy? I'm paraphrasing all of this. But basically, Mm -hmm. he tried to make it seem like James was being fake. And you see James Gunn respond under his tweet going, dude, my tweets, they they automatically disappear over. They they automatically disappear after a time anyway. It's it's not you. Um, So the whole time people are going, God, Ray Fisher needs to be canceled and he's doing too much. And and I listen, I like Ray Fisher, but it's like, bro, you need someone like James Gunn in your corner at a time like this. Like, why would you like, why would you do that? Why are you attacking the one person that's like standing up for you in Hollywood right yes! now? <laughs> in in a position to help you. Mm-hmm. Who knows what it's like to be canceled and almost lose a gig and, and get and get hired back due to grace. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And you just go, dude, listen, they they you either die a hero or you live long enough to be the villain. I think Ray is uh, Ray's probably hurting right now. And I get it. You know, he he's being blackballed and it's unfair. But it's like, bro, you got to you got to choose your battles like this is a guy that could help you. Yeah, because what I was reading very briefly was basically people going, James Gunn isn't doing enough to help Ray Fisher. And it's like. I don't know what he's supposed to be doing to help Ray Fisher, though, right now, because right now there's restructuring all of DC. How do you know he's not doing something to help Ray Fisher? Everything's right. very, you like, don't know tightly about the talks knit. Happening. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of like talks. going, 
oh yeah, he's not doing enough. How do you know? What are you expecting right now that would be enough? Because until they give out the full layout of what they're doing and what they plan, because let's be honest, the full booking for everything DC, they're probably going to scrap everything that's currently on the board and start fresh, which means that Ray Fisher as Cyborg is probably out. I don't like that, but it's probably what's going to end up happening because everybody's going to be out. Jason Momoa is probably going to be gone. Gal Gadot, Henry Cavill's already out. Ben Affleck is already out. So it's a question of, is anybody going to stay at all? And if anybody stays, who? Yeah, I agree with you, man. I think people should just, you know, just chill out, just hang back, see what happens. I mean, we know it has a toxic fan base. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a comic book movie fan base. We, we know they're toxic, you know, as, as a whole, not every single one, because, you know, we like the movies, too. But, yeah, I think people just sit back, chill. You know, there's petitions to fire gun. There's petitions to not let Ray Fisher do anything else in life. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you can't take these people seriously. You got to just sit back and watch what the people who are actually in charge of this stuff and see what they'll do. Right. Because when it comes to people helming DC, I think James Gunn is a great choice for it. We'll see mm-hmm. how things go because, you know, maybe in the future we'll look back and go, man, James Gunn taking over was a terrible decision. Or we'll look back and go, that is when DC really started getting everything together and got a great universe going. Yeah, time will tell. Time will tell what happens with this. Um, I got faith in him. You know, I the man hasn't failed when it comes to comic book movies so or superhero movies specifically. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. <laughs> You uh, you excited for Shazam too? I never saw the first one. Uh honestly, not really. It's kind of exists, but the fact that it's has an original villain, it's not based on anything from the comics. The previews for it just haven't wowed me. I'll probably see it eventually. I don't know if it'll be a day one theater movie. It might end up being that mm. I'll wait for it to come to streaming. Okay, all right. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, it looks funny. I just got to see the first one to get myself, if I'm going to see it, geared up for it. The first one is uh, good. I can say that. Okay, okay. All right, cool, cool. All right, so that'll wrap it up for us, y'all. You know, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. You know, uh, watch movies. Don't forget to, uh, you know, always remember to talk about movies and let us know what you think, man. Do you honestly believe Face Off wins out in this do you do you do you live in an alternate universe where the Wicker Man the remake was a great film? <laughs> uh, let us know. Let us know your thoughts and uh, what you feel about what film do you think Cage is at his cagiest for better or worse? Mm-hmm. And uh, don't forget to uh, you know follow us on uh, you know uh, we're we're, uh, we're on Facebook you know we're on Instagram. Don't forget to go to 8bitwaffles.com to read our uh, film reviews and uh, take care. <laughs>